Today's episode of The Rewatchables is brought to you by State Farm. State Farm agents know that in life, anything can happen. You might buy your dream car on impulse or come home to a broken-in apartment, maybe say yes to a proposal from your significant other and start a family or find yourself in a fender bender when you least expect it. Whatever happens when it comes to home and auto insurance, State Farm agents are there to help with over 19,000 agents in neighborhoods across the U.S., There could be one just around the corner. Contact an agent today, no matter what neighborhood you're from or whatever stage of life you're in. Check out statefarm.com today to find an agent in your neighborhood. State Farm, talk to an agent today. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com, where you can read all about the Oscars that just happened, all about the NBA trade deadline that just happened, all about where sports and pop culture is going. And if you love movies, don't forget to check out The Big Picture, Sean Fantasy's podcast. Coming up, we are going to talk about the 35th anniversary of one of my favorite movies ever. Know how you said your parents use you to get back at each other? Wouldn't I be outstanding in that capacity? (laughs) The Breakfast Club, coming up next. A brain, a beauty, a jock, a rebel, and a recluse. Can't believe this is really happening to me. Before this day is over, they'll break the rules. <coughs> Chicks cannot hold a smoke. That's what it is. Bear their souls. I'm a nymphomaniac. Are your parents aware of this? Take some chances. Being bad feels pretty good. Huh? And touch each other in a way they never dreamed possible. Why'd you do that? Because I knew you wouldn't. Universal Pictures presents Emilio Estevez, Paul Gleason, Anthony Michael Hall, Judd Nelson, Molly Ringwald, and Ali Sheedy in a John Hughes film. Why are you being so nice to me? Because you're letting me. The Breakfast Club. All right, it's the 35th anniversary of... One of the three movies I've seen the most, The Breakfast Club. Chris Ryan is here from The Ringer. Wesley Morris, our old Grantland teammate from The New York Times, he's here as well. Hello, gentlemen. Hi. I was astonished on the 120th viewing of this movie how well it still <laughs> held up. Um, I don't know what it would look like in 2020, but I know what it looked like in 1985, and it was an incredibly important high school movie during an incredibly important stretch of high school movies. Chris Ryan, what was your reaction rewatching it? Uh well, weirdly, a lot of the people in this movie remind me of my friends at the like around that time, their older brothers and sisters, you know, huh. so it's like I, I do. It was kind of very nostalgic for me. I couldn't believe how much I remembered. Like I've seen this movie I can't, I can't, countless times, either on cable or actually like on purpose. When's the last time you saw it before this? Time? Within the last 10 years, but I, I, I'm not sure. Even so. A lot of the movies we do for rewatchables, even Die Hard. I'll be like, oh, yeah, that happens in Die Hard. Okay, I forgot about that. I didn't forget any of this movie. Now, part of that is because it's just basically a play. It just mm-hmm. takes place in one set. It's yes. just a bunch of people talking. In the greatest library of all time. Oh, yeah, my exactly. God, that library. library. I'm glad that you guys said that because I didn't want to have to. I, I mean, I've got some other cards to pull. Yeah. yeah. But like that, we can all at least agree. That that library, no one's had a library. Is a nice. fantasy. Well, they. Yeah. It turns out they built it. It's right. not a real library. Okay. Right. But yeah, I mean, I just, I the 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 way in which like almost every gesture and joke and line 
have kind of just become ingrained in my mind where it's really surprising. I was like, oh yeah, I know every line in this movie. Yeah. Wesley, who was your favorite black character in the movie? <laughs> <laughs> the one Anthony Michael Hall impersonates when he's stoned? Can't he's smoke. doing the Richard yeah. Pryor impersonation. Yeah. <laughs> what stuck out to you when you rewatched it? Um, when was the last time you saw it? Well, you know what's funny? I don't actually know that I have ever seen the movie in its entirety until this time. Really? Just pieces I of have it? seen this movie so many times over the course of my life in bits and pieces. I was nine when it came out. Uh, I definitely didn't see it in a movie theater. It was one of those, it, it was a cable movie because I never rented it. Um, it was so, actually like the, one of the ultimate cable movies. It's the perfect movie oh, yeah. for cable. I think it's like, they don't have to cut one second out of it. Yeah, so, because yeah. it's I, sorry, all set in the same you. place. Like yeah. if it's just on for 12 hours, you're like, you don't even notice that it's right. like the beginning or the end and of the, the movie. And ble- the bleeps were always like, well, freak you! Freak you! <laughs> and, you know, it was very easy to change it. Anyway, I interrupted you. I'm sorry. Um, no, no. I just, uh, it, I remember, it, it's strange, like, in the same way that you were surprised by how much of it you remember. I already knew going in the things that, like, stuck in my brain. Like, um, I mean, I don't know if we're stepping on anything, but I, just to answer the question with, with, with detail— um, you can't blaze up in here, waste or hey, waste <laughs> yeah. You can't blaze up in here. Yeah. yeah, I I know that. Um, the dandruff snowflake for her beautiful yes. sketch bit is like a. I mean, it's gross, but I remember it. I remember. Um, my favorite two parts of the movie are the music video parts. Yeah, the montages, right? Um. Because they don't make any real sense, but they make 1985 sense. When it, it kind of obeys the rule of yeah. 1985, where it's right. like, we just kind of have to do this. This is what the kids want. Right, right. And it's not at all, like, diegetic or like, it, it's just like, the music is being played in the room, but they're doing choreographer. They're, <laughs> it, they are almost aware of the fact that they are on camera yes, in those scenes. Yes, yeah. yes, And I was struck by, as an adult watching that now, if they're aware of themselves as physical beings in a musical space, aren't they then aware of each other as personalities in in the dramatic space? Right. Like, like how much of—I mean, in, in Judd Nelson's character, um, Bender is called out on this numerous times where, you know— it, when he starts go when he does the whole parent thing, um, Andy says to him, "Well, that's bullshit, man. That's just part of your image." Yeah, and it just it, in do it, I stutter? <laughs> <laughs> no, Dad. What about you? <laughs> so I was I was the exact same age as the people in mm. this movie when it came out, mm. and saw it in the movie theater, and. You know, especially in 1985, you're thinking, which one of these kids am I? And I, I wasn't, I weirdly wasn't, I was probably the closest to Brian just because I was like a little bit shy, only child, awkward around girls. But, you know, it was so clearly the athlete, the the badass fuck up guy, the nerd, mm-hmm. the weirdo lady, and then the prom queen. And I, I was trying to think like if they added a sixth person to kind of round it out. I'm not even sure unless you you had like a black character or you had a Mexican character. You, if you were doing it now, you know, it would have to be. Yeah, it would oh, be now, now it's now. never happening. Yeah. But for the most part, those are the five buckets you pretty much have to hit. Yes. If you're doing this movie. Like they, you start with those five. Maybe there's a six you could add, but um, the, it's hard to overstate the impact of cable 
mm-hmm. on this movie because mm-hmm. it came out, it did really well. And it was just on constantly. I mean, it was on for five straight years all the time. And it's one of those movies you can jump into any part. This is, it's the definition of a rewatchable. It's like, oh, he's he's about to tell everybody that he taped Larry Lester's buns together. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think I'm going to watch this. I, I'm in for the next 15 minutes. And it's just, it, and that was why I think it lived on and on and on. And it, and it captured a lot of people at awesome points of their career. Like Molly Ringwald was the defining high school actress of this decade and this is her best movie and mm-hmm. this is John Hughes about to blow up as John Hughes I don't know y'all I mean have you seen Fresh Horses lately? <laughs> just bring, I didn't say just, it lasted just, throw, just throwing it out there <laughs> um, Chris yeah the glory years for teen movies mm. so if you start with Fast Times in 82 mm-hmm. and Fast Times does well and makes people go oh we should make more of these this will be cool and then it really starts to hit in 84 and you're talking 84 and 85, those two years only. Breakfast Club, Karate Kid, Teen Wolf, Goonies, mm. Back to the Future, mm. Gremlins, Just One of the Guys, and Vision Quest. Mm. All set in high schools in like an 18-month span. Sure. Why did this become a growth area for Hollywood? Well, obviously, it probably has like socioeconomic reasons. Like teenagers had spending power if there was, if there was like, you know, the Reagan boom to, to the, for the people that— actually helped uh people probably had a little bit more money in their pockets like in terms of kids like the people in breakfast club so they wanted to see themselves represented on screen and they voted with their dollars a little bit i would i I would add that this was the not a lot to do in 1983 45 yeah you went to the mall you went to the movies well the mall is a huge part of it ice Mm -hmm. cream shop i think the mall is like a really huge part of it because these malls then had movie theaters and they needed things for kids to see and like Creating a mirror for the kids to go watch, to stare into for 90 minutes a day. 83 is a huge had, part of it too. Yeah. 83 had class, all the right moves, and risky business too. So if you want to throw in that year, this is all, these are all the sons those and are daughters adult of Fast Times. That's movies, the thing, though. is I was going to say, are te- those are adult movies. Even with Fast Times, teenagers. I think, is like kind of, it's kind of like adults kind of like, almost making teenage life into like a comic book in some ways. Yeah. It's very funny, but like when you think about the Phoebe Cates scene, and I think Molly Ringwald wrote about this in her New York article about looking back at Breakfast Club, where it's like, there are things in in Fast Times that don't feel very authentic to teenage experience. Not the way that like Breakfast Club felt like it was like written in collaboration with the people that are in the movie yeah. and very much like told from their perspective. And it never condescends to them, but it also never like overly mythologizes them. Right. That was our job. Yeah, right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's, right. I mean, that really was the the novelty of the movie was the the was the mechanism by which it presents these these archi- like the movie knows what the archetypes are and then steadily argues for their dimensionalized humanity by the time it's over. I all one thing I did not remember, and I don't know if this is a thing that sticks in your in your in your minds in terms of what the movie is, but the framing device is totally strange. Like, not strange bad, but as a convention to have this set up like like a letter from the yeah. home front or a suicide yeah. note or something. And it it's 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 presented the the essay that that Brian writes is kind of like it it's a um it's a statement of purpose. Um, it is a, tr- it is a sort of treaties. Like, against- why would Vernon ask them to do that? Like, what difference does it well, make? To- like, you're just I don't know. Like- I've seen some weird detention assignments and that one Have seems you? like I, the most humane. Yeah. 
Well, so but the the letter and the quote that they use at the beginning with Dave Bowie. Oh yeah, the Dave. I wrote it, that. It down. ties into this. Kind Hold of on. The, one of the main themes is like this defiance that mm-hmm. we're in high school. You don't take us seriously, but we actually have a lot to say, and we're thinking about a lot. And that's why, like, the the reason this became one of my favorite movies ever was basically the fifteen minute stretch when Esteve- when they're all hanging out and you could see all of them in that one shot after they'd smoke mm-hmm. pot, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And Estevez tells and they're the sitting on the floor. Yeah. yeah. And then it goes around and it's basically like a like a play for 15 yeah. minutes and they're having like a life talk. I had just never seen that in a movie before where people my own age having a pretty sophisticated discussion about like why they were fucked up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and not even they never really get out ahead of their skis where the only line in that scene that ever it's not that it doesn't ring true it's just like it's so kind of profound that you'd feel like a person in their 30s or 40s wrote it rather than somebody who was 16 said it was when you grow old your heart dies when you grow up your heart dies who cares i care because you'd have to yeah know that you know Mm -hmm. now on one hand all these kids feel alienated from their parents and probably feel like they don't understand what happens when you grow old. Like, why would my parents be this way? But that is the one line where, even though it's one of the best lines in the movie, you're like, oh man, like that's John Wait, who says that again? Uh, it's Al Sheedy. Okay. Says it, yeah. By the way, that's true. My heart is dead. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that all of, I think at least three of the kids are responding to their parents' disappointment sure. in themselves. Yes. Yeah. And I think, I mean, there is a way. Three, I, I think it's all five. I think all five of them have some sort of complicated relationship. They all have complicated relationships. A relationship with their parents that they don't feel good about. Unsatisfying. Unsatisfying. (laughs) Yeah. Well, but I mean, my point is just that the parents themselves have have either failed in some way or like don't like having gotten older and are taking that out. I mean, that's clearly true with the Estevez character, right? Well, it's also true with the principal. Right, right, right. 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 Oh, yes, yes. And Carl the janitor does that. Yeah, the kids haven't changed. You You have. Yeah, Yeah. right. right. And that's the recurrent theme of the movie is kids are more complicated than you think. And adults, something happens to them. Something happens to them that's a bad thing, and these kids are afraid it's going to happen to them, which is a really interesting thing for a movie. And I haven't seen... You know, now we now we're into the Ladybird era. People have taken that theme and moved it, moved it a hundred different mm-hmm. levels higher than that. But in 1985, it was a real thing. Well, the idea that they, the idea that the the reason, the sort of underlying reason that all five of them are in detention is because their parents don't give them enough attention. Yeah, is <laughs> really. I mean, it is a really interesting sort of sociological dramatic conceit, right? Like, we really, the only person we really know, I mean, we know that Andy beat up a guy. We Mm -hmm. know that Andy beat up, like, really beat up a guy. Which, can I just ask a logistics question about high school? I went to a very small high school. I did too. If, 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 uh, if if a wrestler had beaten somebody like that, within an inch of his life the way Andy has wouldn't I would everybody would know I went to a Quaker school too so well, if there if was a they fight know, it though. was like a we would, would have like a huge a, deal all like all hands have, assembly yeah, it yeah, would just yeah. be like oh my god there was a fight I, I mean know, like was, you get was, like shoving matches but nothing like that I'm not mid 80s though I do feel like 
I guess the question is how now big it's is like the school? that kid's kicked out of school and oh, you yeah. know, it's he's got the scarlet letter. But I think in eighty-five, you know, the wrestling coach comes in, he navigates it, the kid yeah. apologizes to the kid, and then everybody kind of pretends it didn't happen. Oh, it's, well, that's just real life. That's still happening. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's still happening. But I thought, well, well, it's also just like, did you did you ever have a bender at your school? Like, did you have a kid who was just like always on the line about getting sus- from getting suspended yeah. or expelled? Well, I had a, I had a guy like that. I had a, we had a guy like that. I, I had mean, a benevolent bender. A benevolent we, bender. Yeah, but I would say a benevolent bender. Yeah, that would way, be my bodyguard, right? Yeah, you Wouldn't know that was awesome? <laughs> benevolent benders. Those right. are the best yeah. people to have in high school. Yeah. They had I mean, great weed. So they were burnouts, but they were like, they weren't going around like great torturing weed. people. They might have your back in a fight. Yeah. 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 We, yeah, I guess I did have a bender. I did have a like almost true bender. And I it, like understanding where he was coming from made a lot of sense. Also I had a lady bender. Um, well, let's oh, let's man. hear the letter that they Lady re- Benders are the best. Yeah. Let's hear the letter that he reads in the beginning. Saturday, March 24th, 1984. Shermer High School, Shermer, Illinois. 60062. Dear Mr. Vernon, we accept the fact that we had to sacrifice a whole Saturday in detention for whatever it was we did wrong. What we did was wrong. But we think you're crazy to make us write an essay telling you who we think we are. What do you care? When you see us as you want to see us. In the simplest terms, the most convenient definitions. You see us as a brain, an athlete, a basket case, a princess, and a criminal. That's the way we saw each other at 7 o'clock this morning. We were brainwashed. A brain, an athlete, a basket case, a princess, and a criminal. (laughs) (laughs) That pretty much sums it up. Can we talk about John Hughes for a second? Yes. He writes Vacation, which Uh is a movie that's still fucking funny. It was on AMC recently, and I was laughing the entire time. Uh, 16 Candles, Breakfast Club. Weird Science, Ferris Bueller, Pretty in Pink, he wrote, Some Kind of Wonderful, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, The Great Outdoors, Uncle Buck, She's Having a Baby, and then he wrote Home Alone, didn't direct it. And that's all in less than 10 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. And then basically hangs it up. He does like the Larry Bird, that was a good run, my back hurts, him out. <laughs> He's like, he, and he lived in Chicago for most of the, like basically the entire yeah, time. Right? Very yeah. anti-Hollywood. Yeah. The, we'll talk about how this movie got made when we do the half-ass internet research, but... um. I mean, there's nobody like him. No. I I can't even be like, oh, he kind of reminds me of John Hughes or that guy's career is like John Hughes or whatever you want to say. This has never happened before since that run. And and his ability to resonate with teenagers, to tap into pop culture, to reflect what pop culture was was in the mid-1980s and late-1980s. It's so he's, he's one of the MVPs of the decade. Yeah, it's disorienting, too, to watch his movies because so little happens in them, but they're not lauded for that. You know, it's not like mm-hmm. they're like slacker or dazed and confused where they're thought of as like these like statements on lack of like narrative kind of like developments. Like the things that happen in this film, well, nothing happens. Like they smoke pot, they eat lunch, they dance. They break the library window they, by screaming. That's right. They break library windows yeah. by screaming. And then they go, oh, yeah. it's, it, there's no like, I, I kept waiting for like, is there like, I couldn't remember. It was like, do Vernon and Bender get in like a fist fight? Because I remember he did the chin thing, like punch me right here. Yeah. 
Nothing happens. Yeah. And that's pretty consistent with his movies. Like, nothing really happens in Ferris Bueller. I mean, there's a couple of set pieces and stuff like that, but th- these movies are real hangout movies. What do you, when you say nothing, I mean, I just, when you I say, guess I'm just conditioned for it to be like all these movies, like movies today are so oriented around like goals and missions, mm-hmm, you know, so mm-hmm. much of filmmaking and storytelling is oriented around like, well, what's the, what's urgent about this moment? What's, what do they have to do in this scene? Right. right. And it's so much more. The stakes are just changed in this. I wouldn't even call them low stakes because they're so, for these kids, they're like the highest possible stakes. I would say that the thing, I wish, I wish even less happened in this movie. Really? The idea that, 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 that Claire and, and Bender get together, that the idea that you've got two romantic comedies happening surreptitiously is more than the movie needed to do. Sure. I mean, or to at least confirm by the end that these two people have gotten together. But I also understand probably being, you know, 14, 15, 17, and seeing these two different archetypes come come together. Swimming against the stream. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I understand the appeal of that, but I'm but I, as a as a grown man now, I can see there's something slightly artificial. And fantastical yeah. about yeah. The, I get what you're saying though, because it's not like there's no deaths, there's no like super traumatic event. But at some, in it's his not movies, goodies. It's you know like they don't have a treasure map. Yes. Like it's there right. isn't but like is, they're not adding a teenage movie onto a genre movie. It really right. is like inventing a teenage genre. But he always manages to have at least one character changes in some way over the course of the movie. Like even mm-hmm. in Vacation, mm-hmm. Clark mm-hmm. Griswold really wants to have this awesome family trip, but by the end of it. He's completely insane. He's hijacking the Walt Disney character, <laughs> demanding to let the park. He's just, all he wanted was to complete this family mission, and he was a lunatic. But ultimately, benevolent in every case. Well, there's I would never, say— There's no darkness to John Hughes movies, in my opinion. Well, I, I don't mean, like, know. Well, true, but I actually think that the thing that he— that I think the thing that sometimes deserves him is his urge toward darkness sometimes, right? Like what? I think, well, I mean, Cameron in Ferris Bueller's Day Off is, I think, one of the great characters in in this genre of movies. And if I'm making a list of 100 characters I love in mm-hmm. American movies, Cameron is definitely on the list. And I think that there's a beat too far in Ferris Bueller's Day Off with Cameron. But I feel like, because you understand, because A, Alan Ruck is really good in the part, and also because the writing is so good, you understand that Ferris is... Well, you know Ferris is an asshole. I mean, at least watch sure. it now. But you also understand that that Cameron is the person who should be taking a day off from school. And Ferris <laughs> realizes this, which makes him a kind of narcissistically good friend. But Cameron is the person, all the great writing in that movie, all the great dramatic writing is given to Cameron. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like that and, art gallery scene. Oh, yeah. When he's staring at the painting and he's looking at that one kid in the dot and it just goes back and forth. You're right. Yeah. He's the key person in that movie, but you would think it was Ferris Bueller. I really, I I just love John Hughes. Yeah. I, I think the degree of difficulty, what he did, and the fact that, I mean, what's, out of all those movies, what's the worst one? Like, she's having a baby? No. And that's well, not even that bad of a it's movie. It's not that bad. You know? He didn't have, for him not to have any losses, you think some I, kind of wonderful? I think some kind of wonderful. Because it's the movie. That's the Mary Stewart Masterson that's one? The, that's the Leah Thompson, oh, Leah Thompson. Eric Stoltz. But you know what, though? That movie's cast really well. It's, and it's, I think the, the actors in it make wait, up for the Stewart fact Masterson that it's pretty work in a movie. garage yeah, in that movie? She's a mechanic. She's a right. tomboy. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. And now, now she would be unquestionably bisexual 
and they would they that character would have so many more wrinkles than and, what it was. But what yours but the thing you just said is the thing that like even watching it when it came out in 87 or 88 I there was a falseness to my 11-year-old self. I just did not believe these people sure. under the cuz they were it was like they were adults pretending to, to be well, some Craig other Schaefer age. was like 25. That was <laughs> oh, yeah. one of the John Hughes flaws is he had no problem having a 26 year old playing a 17 year old. Well, yeah. And what John, even Matthew Broderick, John Nelson little, and Emilio Estevez little. were 22 for Breakfast Club, right? Emilio's an old 22. Yeah. Yeah. He's, 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 <laughs> <laughs> making the moves. Let's talk about uh, the Brat Pack. Mm. So we both did some research on this. The Brat Pack, I didn't never realize, was born with a New York Magazine cover story, which came after this movie came out, but before St. Elmo's Fire, mm -hmm. with this writer who hung out with Emilio Estevez and went out in the David town. David Blum. With, hung out with Rob Lowe, Emilio Estevez, did a night in the town. Emilio Estevez comes off as kind of douchey in it. He gets upset that he can't get into a club, that they're not letting him right in. Won't pay money. Won't pay money to go in. To go see Lady Hawk. No, it's the Lady oh, Hawk Lady thing Hawk. that That's really jumped out the at movie me. Theater. Oh, that's what it was. Okay. To see their buddy and lady. They see Roger. See, yeah. yeah. They so won't they put pay. them all on the cover with the with the headline, the Brat Pack. Yeah. And all of these guys immediately know this sucks. This is going to be bad for us. Yep. This is, we will now be. And it's funny that magazines, I just don't think magazines have the power like that now. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously we had way less media back then, but the ability of a magazine to completely change the narrative of a group of people's career. Mm-hmm. And where everybody will now even even today say that that magazine changed that 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 article changed their relationship to each other. Sure. Yeah, right. Like sure. Ali Sheedy at some point was like, "Yeah, that they took a really nice thing and they, that magazine article ruined everything." Right. And um, the Brad Pack was born, but the Brad Pack was the thing. And the people who were sort of on the periphery of that whole thing, like John Cusack or Nicolas Cage. Who aren't on the magazine cover, but were like right. trying out for some of the same parts that the Rob Lowe ethnic and ethnic chair. Nicholas Cage, how he's described <laughs> in that article. He's yeah. described as the ethnic chair. And he that those guys wind up having better careers, probably, because well, they're not looped into that. It's hard for me to think of this movie without St. Elmo's Fire, mm. which is basically three of these people in that movie. Ali Sheedy, who is playing a completely different character. Judd Nelson, who's playing this future totally Republican senator. miscast. And then Rob Lowe is the <laughs> fuck up. And... It comes out, what, six months after? They're all graduating yeah, from college. They're, they, in this movie, they're all high school. Georgetown. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, and uh, Estevez. Yeah. Estevez more. Yeah. Estevez, who has like the weirdest part in St. Elmo's, spends the entire movie stalking Andy, Andy McDowell. Yeah, that is. When we yeah. do, we'll do rewatchables at some point. That that gets pretty, that got pretty creepy about 10 years ago. I, I, I that movie never worked for me. I'm a, I'm really down and out on Joel Schumacher. Yeah, in all in all capacities. Good music, at least. <laughs> Did Demi Moore's character smoke crack in that movie? Is she freebasing through like like when they're like when they find her in the apartment? I don't remember. Yeah, I think she's hard on something. Okay, I don't remember what it I is. I don't know, but I spent like four years in the '90s just looking for her. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't hard to find her. That was my wheelhouse. Um, does that mean that you were the guy who paid to see Wisdom? <laughs> no, I just... I, You're just going up to people and be like, I'm I like a benevolent bender I looking like for... Fraud people in their 20s. <laughs> yeah. Did while. you see Wisdom no. in the theater? No. Wisdom, of, cor Wisdom of course, being Estevez's, Emilio Estevez's direct writing and directing debut. 
there's just a lot of cocaine back then. Is wait. this wait? Is this the one where he and Martin Sheen are walking across the mountains? No, no, that's no, okay. later. Okay, now, this movie's terrible. This is this is he made this when he was like 26. Imagine oh. today, who would who would even do this now? He he play, and it's a crazy plot. He plays uh, he this guy graduates from high school, has a girlfriend, sees a report on the news about starving people. And people not being able to pay their bills and losing their mortgage, like houses, because they can't pay their mortgages. So he and Demi Moore basically become Bonnie and Clyde yeah. in order to get people like time off from from having their loans be late. It's a crazy Martin Sheen. Only the son of Martin Sheen would think to write and direct this movie for his for were, his first film. They were engaged in real life. Oh yeah, I remember the movie that. bombed and the engagement was immediately called off. We should mention that though. The Martin Sheen part's an important part of this because with Estevez, you don't think of it now because he's Emilio Estevez, but he was Martin Sheen's kid. When he was in The Outsiders, mm -hmm. Martin Sheen was, was, I don't think he was one of the five biggest actors at the time, but he was in the top 10. And he was the guy from Apocalypse Now. Yeah, he's only now. five years removed from Apocalypse yeah. Now. Yeah, and I think that really helped Charlie Sheen and Estevez because it was like, oh man, Martin Sheen's kids are acting. Yeah. So we gave them way more of a chance, I think, than they would have. And then you see him in this movie and you're like, there is something likable about him. I don't think oh, it's yeah. a total nepotism thing. Like, he did have a charisma to Emilio him. Emilio Estevez? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, he, yeah, 100%. Yeah. I don't think He's this really, was... He's really... Like, I mean, I, it, I'm sure people think the movie is shit, but I remember when, when Young Guns came out, it was, like, really big deal. Like, people were like, oh, man. <laughs> Young Guns. <laughs> yeah. Keeper. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the budget of this movie, $1 million. It made $54 million. Hmm. There's only 10 speaking parts in this movie. Roger Ebert, three stars said the performances were, quote, wonderful, mm. end quote. I actually remember watching Siskel and Ebert. About this? Literally watching it, knowing I was excited for the movie, and they both liked it. But the clip they showed was when it was Ali Sheedy and Estevez, and they're like, what's wrong with you? What do your parents do to you? And she's like... They ignore me. <laughs> and I'm like, what is this movie? <laughs> and then it comes back to these two old frumpy guys talking about yeah. uh, this movie. But it was great. We're going to do the categories. Wait, can I say something? Yeah. Pauline Kale called bullshit on this, on this movie. On this movie? Yeah, she oh, reviewed no. it. She reviewed it. She and had she, some really bad takes. No, but I feel like Pauline's shedging into maybe being a rewatchables category is what was Pauline Kale's take. Yeah, I mean, she's, it's, it's going to be wrong 80% of the time. <laughs> but I feel like she... What she identified in this movie is a thing that is not false, which is, I mean, I really wrestled with her with where she came down and where she came down was like, this is, this is like a bogus teen angst movie. The angst isn't coming from any sort of real, like America, like it's not, it's not that it's not coming from a real American place, but there's something about the angst here that just feels phony. You know why she felt that way? Because when you get old, your heart dies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair, Bill. That is fair. No, I do think, though, the whole point of being a teenager is getting completely stressed out and flustered and Because you're feeling the feelings for the first time. Yeah, by dumb shit. And yeah. the fact that your your parents got divorced and you think it's your fault. Or like your dad is Bender's dad and he's stuffing a cigar in your wrist. But I think that she, I think she was the person who made the point that comparing it to something like Rebel Without a Cause, mm -hmm. right? Where there actually was sort of a like a national thing to put your finger on. That's, that's a fair. And that. and that the parents were also suffering, were like shown to be suffering in a way 
that only exacerbated the suffering of the kids. And the way that Hughes treats adult adults and parents, it's interesting the most sophisticated adult in the movie is the janitor, right? Carl, yeah. And he's the person who has all the wisdom at both ends of the of the human development spectrum. I fucking right. love the janitor. See, I think you could make the argument that that's like, for as much as I sort of enjoy the Carl Vernon conversations, the movie, in terms of what, what Kale is criticizing, isn't helped by the fact that it breaks perspective. Because for the rest of the movie, you're only ever mm-hmm. with those kids. Mm-hmm. And they see their parents through, you see the parents through their eyes, you see Vernon through their eyes. Like, everything is limited by, like, what their point of view is. So to break out of that, you might as well then break out of, like, what is Andy's dad doing during the day when he's, like, gone home and, like... Well, that's the thing she found unfair. Right, exactly. Right? Like, why use the principal as a straw man... To 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 villainize all of sort of to represent all of the villainy, all the parental villainy that these guys are talking about among themselves in detention. These kids turned on me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he gonna, actually says that. Yeah, it's, we're gonna do it's uh, the categories. One second, first we're taking a break. Let's take a break to talk about Peroni. You know who knows how to live life? The Italians. I know this for a fact. I'm half Italian. Great food, familia, celebrating beauty and style around them and us. Um, We could learn a lot of lessons from the Italians. Most of all, slowing down from our busy lives and enjoying a moment of just being, you know, can help you. Peroni, born in Italy in 1963 by the Peroni family, their vision to create a beer that would embody Italian values of quality, craftsmanship, and style. The Italians know what they're doing. Just, Just trust me on this. Um... I'm not a huge beer guy anymore, but this is one of the beers. If I see, I I, I feel like I have to have, I know the ingredients are going to be great. You know why? Because it came, came from Italy. I know it's going to be the finest. I know it's going to be bold. I know it's going to be authentically Italian, clean, refreshing. Just puts me in a good mood. Look for Peroni for your next happy hour, or as the Italians call it, aperitivo. Find it in cans and bottles at your local grocery store. Follow them on Instagram at, at Peroni USA. Peroni Italia, whatever you do, do it beautifully for people over the age of 21. Only 2020 imported by Bira Peroni International, Washington, D.C. And since we're here, your local police department probably receives 100 calls a night from burglar alarms, and they usually have no idea whether the alarm is real. All the alarm company can tell them is the motion sensor went off. Well, Simply Safe Home Security is different. You get comprehensive protection for your home. Simply Safe uses real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of any break-ins. They can tell when the intruder is in the home, where they are, whether they're armed, what they're doing. They'll dispatch police up to 350% faster than for a normal burglar alarm. Outdoor cameras and doorbells alert you to anyone approaching your home. Entry motion, glass breaks, sensors, guard inside. Even protects your home from fires, water damage, carbon monoxide po- poisoning. And all monitored 24-7 by live security professionals. Set it up yourself. No tools needed. Or they can do it for you. 50 cents a day. No contracts. Visit simplysafe.com slash rewatchables. You get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. Simplysafe.com slash rewatchables. That's Simply Safe with two eyes. Back to the Breakfast Club. Okay, most rewatchable scene. Hmm. Some good ones. I mean, honestly, this whole movie is rewatchable. Well, it's also but, one scene. Yeah, this, it's hard to even delineate. But it's more moments. Than Bender I steals the screw and gets eight detentions. Eat. My shorts. You just bought yourself another Saturday, mister. Oh, 
crushed. You just bought one more right there. Well, I'm free the Saturday after that. Beyond that, I'm going to have to check my calendar. Good, because it's going to be filled. We'll keep going. You want another one? Say the word. Just say the word. Instead of going to prison, you'll come here. Are you through? No. I'm doing society a favor. So? That's another one right now. I've got you for the rest of your natural-born life if you don't watch your step. You want another one? Yes. You got it. You got another one right there. That's another one, pal. Cut it out. You through? Not even close, bud. Good. You got one more right there. You really think I give a shit? Another. Are you done? Not no. even close, bud. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're mine, Bender. Two months. He throws up the hook'em. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> that whole thing. Yeah, uh, that scene's really good, and it's really good, Judd Nelson. I, and and uh, we, when do you want to have the Judd Nelson conversation? Right wanna, now. Let's all right, do it. Let's, let's do just it right have now. it right, now. Just do it right because now. Because I fucking love him in this movie, and do I think you love he should have been a bigger this star. Or in New Jack City. I actually <laughs> liked him in St. Elmo's Fire. <laughs> New Jack City, it's I tough. mean, tough facial hair, but it was the old, but that's the thing that he's trying to do. Like yes. every shitty thing that he did in every movie, including, I, I hate to say it, this one is bleeding up to him just coming out just as a person to- who just wants to be near and around black people. <laughs> and he doesn't even know what he's doing in this movie. He's he like, I went to acting right. school with Mario Van Peebles. But you, <laughs> he did. He was like, but yeah. Because you, you know, there's that scene in the gym when they break out and he gets caught and he basically takes the, this is also a weirdly is, it really is a war movie. Mm-hmm. Like it's structured like a war movie in a lot yeah. of ways, right? Like they're in, they're platooning. They're in, in, the, they're in their bunker, yeah. And he is basically going to take one for the squad, right? Right. And like, you know, you guys, I'm going to stay behind. You go without I me. I want to be right, right, there for right. Yeah. So when he, and also, what do they whistle, by the way? What's the whistling they do into like that weird moment? They whistle the theme. They whistle the was, Bridge on the River Quiet yeah. theme. It's such a weird, I mean, the war, the war dimension of this movie. I never just, thought of that. Is really fascinating. Gonna, can I make the case for Jed Nelson? Okay. Wait, let me just finish my point about the black thing. Oh yeah, he's yeah, yeah. he's in. He's they're playing basketball. He does the voice. He does. He says, "Out. That's it, Bender. Out. It's over." Don't you want to hear my excuse? Out. Thinking of trying out for a scholarship. Give me the ball, Bender. Yeah, it's like how he says scholarship. Yeah, there's something about the way he says it like a black dude, yes. and the joke. I mean, it's like it's like a two tier joke, and it's like okay. But everything that Judd Nelson had been doing up to that point, like it, up it was to New all, Jack, it yeah. was all meant. It, it all comes to fruition in New Jack. That's why Alec is so frustrated in saying almost fire. No black friends, <laughs> and <laughs> well, in the closet yes. about wanting them. I too. know. Anyway, he, go he on. Defend, defend Caru- him, David Caruso. Ooh, he figured out a way to bring it up two notches beyond where it should have gone but not lose control of the steering wheel, mm. but really thrived in, I'm really going for it. I'm going to, I'm going to take this. I could take this up to 10. I'm going to take it to 12. Ooh. And in about, in uh St. Elmo's fire, he's kind of a self parody in that movie, but I think he knows it, which is the most interesting thing about him as an actor. That one scene when they're like, Estevez says to him near the beginning, when he switches sides to the Republicans and he's like, what's the, 
chairman of the Young Democrats doing working for a Republican. He's like, moving up, Kerbo. <laughs> moving up. <laughs> and it's like so cheesy. And it's yeah. like he's the only person who could have pulled that off. I'm in on Judd Nelson. Well, I think he should have had a better career. I, I know he was a giant asshole, I think was the report. Yeah, that he well, was just really hard to work I mean, it with. Sounds like people on, didn't on like the set him. of this it's, movie, particularly, he it's was, in the David. It's in yeah, that. It's in it's that in New York magazine stuff. piece. But here's I have I have some things to like try to contextualize what they were trying to, what they were trying to get. Not with a Judd Nelson, not just with Judd Nelson, but with all of the men. The '80s was this really. It was the. It's the only time in the history of of modern American pop culture that I can think of where being a Republican was cool. And you had all of these because of Reagan, right? I mean, but right, it was it was maybe just maybe it was only because of Reagan. This is you are correct, but I mean, just think of how each one of those Brat Packers, except for Estevez, who was who had staked his career on being who on making liberal work, like identifiably, inarguably, he was Robin Hood in that movie sure. he made uh, in, in Wisdom. Then uh, what was the, what was the thing he made with Charlie Sheen? Men at Work. Men at Work, where they're trash guys. Right, yeah. they're garbage men who fought, who happened. That movie's pretty good. I'm kind of in on that movie. Right, it's not bad. It actually is not bad. <laughs> That's not a bad movie. Estevez, That's like an Elmore Leonard movie. El- yeah. Estevez is like low key. He's secretly talented. I mean, it's not a secret anymore because he made that I thing that you sort of brought up. I actually like the Mitchell Brothers movie on right. Showtime. The porn, the the two porn guys. I right. thought that movie was good. He's he's a good he's good. But the thing that I find fascinating is that we spent eight years like fetishizing, romanticizing, pinning up, you know, guys who aspired to be Reaganites, and there was a whole bunch of Wall movies Street. with young kids. Secret of My Success. I mean, Michael Keaton himself is, is I mean, or Alex, Michael Keaton. Alex P. Keaton from Family Ties, most Michael pop, J. Fox. One of the most popular sitcom characters of the entire 80s. How many Emmys did he win playing that yeah. character? I oh, mean, yeah. There was, there was this, and McCarthy just, see, Andrew McCarthy just seemed like he was one of these people too. You know. Uh, well, there's also like a political neutrality on the other side of it, right? Because you were either a Republican or you were nothing. Right. I don't feel like yes, you know, yes. in the 80s, I remember, I remember people putting like Smith's quotes in the yearbook or maybe the cure and, and joy division, or they were hippies and they really liked, you know, cream and the dead, but there wasn't a left in mm-hmm. the, in, in my a, experience, a, a modern present. Yeah. Left. Cause it was like, Mondale think of the leaders Duk- we had yeah. at that point. It right. was Mondale. It was Michael Dukakis. Yeah, there was no Jesse Jackson. At least not in high school. I'm sure no. in college it felt that way, but in high school there wasn't like a I resistance. Did. We forgot an Estevez movie that we should that. shout out. Stakeout's a fucking good movie. Oh yeah, yeah. That's, he, he grew a mustache for that, make himself look a little older. But it, it, has had a good career. It is a little that movie. If you if you if you watch it, time. you should watch it now. Is it'll, it complicated? It'll it's complicated. Oh, interesting. Oh, because it's a lot of like stalking. They're the just woman. sitting there watching Madeline Stowe. Yeah, which oh. I mean, I, nobody should objectively object to. But I, I mean, seen it in years. It's called Stakeout, and they aren't kidding. I mean, that, <laughs> here's the thing. <laughs> Stakeout. I got the Craig chuckle. That movie was so successful. They made a sequel. They made Stakeout too. Yeah, another Stakeout. Uh, more rewatchable scenes. Bender versus Andrew. When they finally, when it's on, mm-hmm. I just want to say two of my buddies in high school, Jim Grady, Adam Gibbons, and we would just say breakfast club lines to each other, like just to be funny. And this had some classic, including if we, if you weren't in school right now, I'd waste you. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you hear this? You want me to turn it up? Oh yeah. That, that was, 
Um, He'd been waiting all morning to say it, so too. So good. I've just been telling that to my son since he turned like three. <laughs> um, two hits. Me hitting you, you You're hitting the, the floor. Now, this, had this you ever... is just like a cliche, fight cliche okay. machine for three minutes. That I mean, that was a thing people were saying, right? Because I had never heard it before, that movie, and I was suddenly aware of every time somebody was trying to get out of a fight, they'd say that. I'd never heard it before But when we were Club. saying it, we're like, we thought this was like openly ridiculous and funny. Oh, yes. So yeah. I mean, there's a lot of unintentional comedy there, in this movie. But that there was scene, like I don't want to get into this, man. No, yeah, <laughs> it's just like that's so that's one of my favorites. There yeah. was I do remember a couple of times when I was a kid, like situations where there would be like a fight about to happen, and the guy who had been instigating it, but then obviously didn't want to do it, would be like, "I can't fight you, man, because I might have to go to juvie." You know, like, <laughs> like, oh, like well, I can't you know, go back to juvie, and it I would can't be like, go back. Okay, okay. Dude. <laughs> yeah, I know. Where you went to school. I don't think anybody. <laughs> no, was no, it was just more like in the neighborhood. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this. Can you hear this? You want me to turn it up? Led to just three years of middle finger jokes when oh, I was yeah. in high school. Mm. I'd be in the back of math class with Jim Grady. Down. Oh, yeah, we just like throw it up, be like, <laughs> all those. <laughs> we had like 20 of them wow. all from this movie. So yeah, that was yeah, the, I don't think read I've, between the lines. That's another I've one. never given. Oh, wait, I've got a line My that you guys, those. I need you to translate. This I did write down. I don't want to get into this, man. I don't want to get into this with you, man. Why not? Because I'd kill you. It's real simple. I'd kill you, and your fucking parents would sue me, and it'd be a big mess, and I don't care enough about you to bother. I'd kill you, and your fucking family would sue me. <laughs> Because that's all that would happen. Yeah. You'd get sued. You're a new Maxi Dunes Weeby? No, yeah. Nebo Waxy Dooms Weeby. What is that? I don't, we're going to get to it because okay. I have a piece about that. Uh, next scene Bender doing impressions of Brian and then his own dad. Here's my impression of life at Big Bry's house. Son? Yeah, Dad. How's your day, pal? Great, Dad. How's yours? Super. Say, son, how'd you like to go fishing this weekend? Great, Dad. Including PB and J with the crust cut off. And then, <laughs> then him reenact. Oh, you want to see the scene in my house? No, Dad, what about you? Fuck you. No, Dad, what about you? And Joe Nelson just go for the Oscar. I think he thought he was going to be at the Oscars nine months later. And they'll be like, and Judd Nelson. And that that was the clip. He should get an show. Oscar for the amount of jackets he wears in this movie. I mean, it's, he was like, for some point, four. It, it's a flannel, a jean jacket, and a trench coat. What yeah. year? What time of the year do we think this is? Like February? Uh, I would say After like, Christmas break. Is it after Christmas? I think so. Okay. Because there's no there's no decorations up, so I feel like no, it's like fair. a drab party. It of the could year. also be November, early November. Yeah. It feels like fall to me. Next rewatchable scene, Bender versus Vernon, the principal, um, when he says, uh, you'll see how funny when your pot's on fire in your locker, and Bender goes, it's impossible, it's in Johnson's underwear, which it was. <laughs> John Hughes was really funny. Like, he had great one He was funny. But it leads to Vernon bringing him into the closet. And really threatening him and doing the, I'm going to be there. But someday, man, someday, when you're out of here and you've forgotten all about this place and they've forgotten all about you and you're wrapped up in your own pathetic life, I'm going to be there. That's right. And I'm going to kick the living shit out of you, man. I'm going to knock your dick in the dirt. 
Uh, I'll give you the first shot. You're a gutless turd. All that stuff. That's really intense. It <laughs> kind of breaks Bender. Right. Yeah, Bender. Bender is definitely like, oh shit, I yeah. I definitely went too far yeah. on this. Because um, he, he, he does the whole like, nobody's going to believe you thing. Well, there is this weird Good tension move. between them being kids. I mean, it was like watching it now. I, there are these moments where you are allowed to remember that what you're watching is a bunch of what should be a bunch of like 15, 16, 17 year olds. And there was a moment where like anytime an adult gets real like serious and violent with you, you do, you're sort of like, that would happen whenever I got yelled at by my friend's dad. Yeah. 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 It's, it's not your parents. I was just feeling whatever my parents did. My friend's dad was like, shut up back there. I'm like, oh shit. It also has the meanest, (laughs) the meanest line in this whole movie when he says in front of the other ones, you think he's funny? You think this is cute? You think he's bitching? Is that it? Let me tell you something. Look at him. He's a bum. You want to see something funny? You go visit John Bender in five years. You'll see how goddamn funny he is. Because it's true. Yeah. Right. In five yeah. years, he's going to be a complete fuck up. He'll probably be. So the in best jail. part, my, one of my favorite parts about this movie that I noticed on this rewatch is just for as talky as it is, how much stuff gets communicated in between lines. And how much stuff, especially in the beginning when they're kind of all still feeling each other out, there's a lot of like cutaways to like stolen glances at one another. Mm -hmm. Like where you can see that Mm -hmm. Claire is excited that Bender is ragging on Andy. Or you can see that like Ali Sheedy has noticed that Brian is saying, like they'll do these little reaction shots where you can see like, oh, there's, it's not just Andy and Claire are on one team and Bender and, and Ali Sheedy and Brian are on the other team. It's like, there's a lot of like, cross relationship stuff building mm-hmm. in this really subtle nice way well, I, I really like that because one of mine is like the the social clubs conversation yeah and they all do that in that scene where they change sides like four or five times right, right, they right. Did one part when uh bender's making fun of brian about the pbj with the crust cut off and it cuts to estevez and he's laughing because it's funny and then he kind of looks over at brian and he sees brian's feelings are starting to get hurt and you can see kind of his face shift, yeah because you know that look like yeah yeah. I should probably do something, but that's a good point. Can I say something about, like, when we're talking about these, we're, we're still in rewatchable scenes, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I just want to go back to, to something you said about they're really not, like, it being sort of one big scene. And the problem that I have watching it now as an adult is there's, Bender, A, is a terrorist. <laughs> yes. Um, can, we, he, can you save this for what's age the worst? Oh, I, I've got other things, but like, I just, <laughs> if we're going to criticize Bender, we, I have a yeah. category for that. But it's just, I just want my only reason to bring this up is not for any sort of ideological reason. It's just to say dramatically, uh-huh. he does all the talking for like 40 minutes. Right. He yes. does, everybody's reacting to him, which is, I guess, like a thing that, a, that an asshole bully like that would, would want and need. But there's something dramatically to me a little one note about it because he is a one note character and all of his notes only bring out one note and all the other characters for too long. By the time you get to the last 25 minutes, all this great music is going on among the five of them. But for 40 minutes, sooner, right? Right. With I don't need that much of him. Two more rewatchable scenes. Everyone getting high. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When Anthony Michael Hall, who was legitimately funny and who had in 16 candles, he's we can funny. save this for later. I've in got vacation. As Russ, mm-hmm. aka Rusty, mm-hmm. he's gonna pork. He's dad. really good with mm-hmm. Chevy Chase. Like mm-hmm. he's genuinely funny in that, and I think he's funny in that scene too. Uh, that also has the crazy dance scene, which we're gonna talk about later. But I actually also enjoy. 
And then finally, um, this is my pick for most rewatchable scene. It's basically, it shifts seven different times. I would describe it as the Larry Lester speech, followed by Brian's confession, followed by the lipstick trick, followed by Bender railing it to Claire, followed by Brian asking if they'd still be friends after this was all over, followed by everybody shitting on Claire because she says no, followed by Brian talking about pressure. You don't think I understand pressure? <laughs> Do you? Do you know what I need to get in here? Followed by Ali Shitty admitting she's in there because she had nothing better to do. I think that's one of the best 15 minute stretches of any 80s movie. That's the end of that's the end of the movie too. Mm-hmm. I mean it's it's like everything had been building up to these people doing what you said Chris which is basically switching sides mm-hmm. and like 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 and they developing do it like three times in that scene, right. yeah. It's a yeah. it's a really well like refined scene. The writing, I don't know how many passes it took him to get to that point. Well, they did a, apparently I don't want to step on half ass, but a lot of ad libbing. Mm. And, and there's a lot, lot of, of there were a lot of drafts of the script. So yeah. there's like the first one, and then there's like the one that they were about to shoot, and then they went back and pulled a lot of stuff out of it. So this draft. scene but, has the Lester speech. Estevez is awesome in that. All I could think about was Larry's father. And Larry having to go home. And and explain what happened. And the humiliation, fucking humiliation he must have felt. It's actually a really good speech. And yeah. I think about the humiliation, the fucking humiliation he must have felt. <laughs> he must have been unreal. He's really going for it. He really is. And then uh, that felt a little acting class says, to me. Yeah. I just enjoyed it. I like when. He took he took it two notches above. Well, do you know what they do in that sequence? Is this the? It's one of the only times the camera moves. It's right. like there's a there's a tracking shot around even the behind pillars yep. and stuff. Yeah, they, yeah. I like Brian when he's like, when I look, step outside myself, and I look at myself. I don't like what I see. Mm. And Molly yeah. Ringwald's like, "What is it? What don't you like?" And then he's like, "I'm feeling sharp." <laughs> <laughs> the uh, this is also the scene when. When you grow up, your heart dies. Mm-hmm. This is also the scene when they get when Judd Nelson is railing on somebody, and he goes, "What do you care? I may as well not even exist." That's right, because Andy yeah. says that to him in the beginning. Like yeah. he's filing everything away. Um, he really lays into Claire at this point with the "Your poor, rich, drunk mother in the Caribbean." <laughs> just bury your head in the just... sand and wait for the fucking prom. It just gets harsh. And then uh, Brian's saying, "You're so conceited, Claire. You're so full of yourself." And then. You don't think I understand pressure. Just all the beats in yeah. that are tremendous. So that's my vote for most rewatchable, that whole stretch. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, that yeah. Is, that's that's definitely it. Um, that's, that's definitely the best scene in the movie. What's age the best? I'm going to start with the fist pump, which apparently Judd Nelson improvised. Um, he was just supposed to be walking through the thing, and he just ended up doing this. And then it just matches perfectly with the uh, Don't You Forget the About Me. Ones, yeah. And mm-hmm. that's like, I would say, one of the most memorable freeze frame things of the 80s mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um is there another memorable 80s freeze frame that you comes to mind no that's okay. the only one there's, i can think of there was, there's a lot though i mean that was a that was a move i don't even think i mean he must have taken that from any Karate number kid. of places oh, yeah. yeah i mean rambo um, oh yeah there's Tim a lot mr miyagi at the end yeah uh freeze frames everywhere the uh the soundtrack mm. which not only has that simple mind song but fire in the twilight by wang chung 
Oh yeah, and then we are not alone. The Carla DeVito Carla, song. Carla DeVito. Yeah. Carla DeVito. <laughs> that sounds solid. I think that. Can I ask a quick question about sure, the Carla yeah. DeVito song? Mm-hmm. What's the likelihood? I know they're stoned, but that just doesn't seem like it's Bender's jam. Like uh, Bender would be like, no, I want to listen to. Yeah, like, he'd want to listen to Bad Company, like Meat Beat Manifesto, yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Do you think she wrote that song and they took it, or they told her, "Hey, Carla." Can you write a song that has lyrics like "We are not alone" and "We're really not so different after all"? <laughs> and she's like, "All right, give me three hours," and just does it that way. Um, more would say it's the best. It it kills me when Brian gets the boner when they're when he does oh, he throws the, the, the hat boner on shuffle yeah. throws yeah. the hat on it. It's hilarious. The hot beef injection. Oh. Just that he came up with that phrase yeah. as well as Neo Maxi Zoom Dweeby. Yeah. The, the Judd Nelson uh, lingo. This is this might be my favorite um, because I got a lot of mileage at, at it over the years. When Brian's saying he wasn't a virgin, that he's been laid lots of times and by who? And it's like, this girl in the Niagara Falls you area. Know her, know her. <laughs> that just became so legendary. That was like just 15 years of the jokes after that. The would come back that. from camp and be like, dude, <laughs> at camp, I was crushing it. You'd just be like, what's her name? So she, much you sex. You wouldn't know her. She goes to school on the Canadian border. The Niagara Falls area was a yeah. running joke for 10 years. It's an Orthodox Jewish girl. You wouldn't know her. <laughs> um, <laughs> doesn't have a phone. It's my personal private business. Well, Brian, it doesn't sound like you're doing any business. Um, <laughs> the uh, the uh, Claire's love of sushi has aged the yeah, best. Yeah, I love that. That was great. great that. So bit. gross in 1985. And now it's like, all right, Claire, All their nice lunches job rule. Like yeah. their lunches are so funny. Yeah. Vernon yelling at them and saying... I won't be made a fool out of him and turning around. He has the toilet paper hanging out of his pants. Yeah. Is great. That's a low, that's a low blow. Um, the what's wrong with you, parents? Yeah. What'd they do to you? They ignore me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I and like- then Estevez does the. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just, just, he kills me in this. Yeah, I... I the Estevez, Anthony uh, Michael Hall, Ali Sheedy trio when they're stoned and she dumps her bag on the on yeah. the couch. She's like, you never know when you might have to jam. Yeah, I <laughs> love that. I, I use that. Yeah. I use the term jam from like after... He, well, I heard somebody else say it after her, but I figured out it was from that movie. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to... Jam's a verb for me too. And then when she's like, my home life is deeply unsatisfying and Anthony Michael Hall is like, Andy, you want to weigh in on this uh, <laughs> this whole situation? <laughs> He's awesome. Uh, Ali Shady's entrance post makeover. I really like when she looks at Anthony Michael Hall, and she's like waiting for his reaction. He just kind of like. <laughs> he doesn't know what to do. Stunned, and he thinks she's cute, and she's just like, "Oh, thank you," but it's a nice moment. Any other? What's age the best for you? I think just like the the archetypes still mm-hmm. feel very real to me, mm-hmm. even if they have nothing to do with what contemporary high school is like. The jock, the the burnout, the prom queen, the nerd, and the outcast is really. I, 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 I'm going with fist pump or Niagara Falls. <laughs> Niagara Falls is just beautiful. Yeah, it's, that that's... joke's still going 35 years later. What's age the worst? Yep. David Bowie's quote at the beginning: "And these children that you spit on as they try to change their worlds are immune to your consultations. They're quite aware of what they're going through." Here's what's age the worst. I use that as my high school high school yearbook quote. The Bowie no. one. No, yeah, I really you did. did. I did. <laughs> did you have a high school yearbook quote? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I'm sure somebody listening. That quote really resonated with, with me, man. 
I don't think I, I did. was quite aware of what I was going through. <laughs> but I actually, whatever it was, it was probably grim. It was probably like yeah. like judgmental. It was probably mean and angry. I don't. I, but I don't think I did. I don't think I did. Somebody who still got the yearbook should tell me that I'm wrong. But um, um, the library scene, which which one? It's the window breaking. Oh yeah, it's that's bad. John Hughes. Well, this is a what's age or worse for John Hughes. Can we save this for? Okay, go ahead. I just want to say, John Hughes said his biggest regret about this film was using the breaking glass. Why do it? It's an easy cut. But they're going to get in so much trouble. They're going to get so I, much trouble. We got to save that. Okay. This is later. like, yeah. Um, the dance scene, which I really liked, but then uh, I don't think Bender joins in under any circumstances. I had a real issue with that. And apparently Molly Ringwald was supposed to be dancing by herself and felt really uncomfortable. And so they choreographed. So like they did a choreograph. Five person. Said, you mean she was supposed to be the only person dancing in that sequence? Apparently. Oh, that makes a lot more that sense. That makes sense. And they had to uh, ad lib that whole weird because that would be her jam. Yeah. Right. Okay. I get it. But and she has the most iconic dances. From she's that. got. She's doing the Belinda Carlisle. Yeah. It's and then um, it's great. Two other what's age the worst? I mean, Bender trying to stick his head in Claire's crotch. Yeah, in mean, 2020, Bender's maybe not. Predator. Maybe not flying yeah. as much. Anything Bender does. Yeah. Well, then the other thing would be Bender's bullying is like he's just a genuinely mean person in this movie, and he's it, a it's psycho. Kind of yeah. yeah, he's a sociopath. It's like even I don't know what's why I like on him. his locker is fucking nuts. You yeah, know? he's like, sociopath. What's his? What is it? Like, what is on his locker? It's, it's um, his, touch yeah, this it's, and you die, fag. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. That's yeah. it. That's the first thing you see in the movie. That's the first thing, yes. One of the first, is it the very first thing? Yeah. Okay. Pretty much. So I think if they remake this movie, which I'm sure they will at some point, I oh, Bender is probably scaled back a couple matches. Oh, no, or you have Claire, you have the Claire or Allison characters be stronger. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I just feel like there are a number of moments where the writing just isn't there for either one of them. And well, Allison doesn't talk until about 45 minutes. And her first movie. word is vodka. You know what I mean? Whenever. <laughs> That's her second yeah. word. <laughs> That's another what's age the worst for me, actually, is the whole nymphomaniac thing. It's just so unrealistic. But she she's, makes, but she does make it up. I mean, listen. Yeah, she's a pathological I, like, liar. It's so interesting how, like, remember the, what, what are the, like, how many lies did you tell when you were that age? Like, even if you didn't admit, like, the ones you knew, ones everybody knew were lies. Yeah. But I was, I, I was, my issue with it was more, it was so ridiculous. I can't believe any of them it, uh, even believed it for five It was also seconds. so much of life was unprovable back then. Right. You could sure, come right. back from summer break and be and like, just say whatever you me want. Me and Dwight Gooden were hanging out this summer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I did like, a boss. <laughs> every, everybody did something like yeah. that. Everybody did something like that. Yeah, Walter Payton just showed up at the movie theater <laughs> where I worked in. It was just amazing. And they're like, but he would have been in Chicago. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. He yeah, came to you, Philadelphia. Now you would have taken an Instagram picture and commemorated yes. it. Yep. People yep. wouldn't yep. believe it. Otherwise. Casting what ifs. Molly Ringwald was supposed to play Ali Sheedy's character. Can we, do you want to talk, can we briefly before we do the casting what ifs, we should mention this is like the what age the worst stuff is just, people should check out the Molly Ringwald piece that she wrote for the New Yorker. It yeah. was really interesting in her in terms of like, her, it's like basically her deciding whether or not to like show Breakfast Club to her kids, and she goes back and like and she kind of like with her daughter, and just thinks a lot about like you know the just her relationship to Hughes and like the complicated it's nature. It's a very beautifully written, yeah. thoughtful, honest, um, complicated assessment of both her relationship to him and our relationship to him and her, um, and 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 really, it's one of the best things written about 
the que- like this annoying but important question about what you do with the art of people who did bad things or or like not in John's John Hughes's case having done bad things but like what do you do with the bad work that people do mm-hmm. like all of the sort of racist and misogynist jokes he was writing at uh, National Lampoon um, and like some of the racist and sexist things that are in the movies yeah some of which she is a, a part of yeah. or, or that come at her expense there's a great bit where she talks to somebody else who is in 16 Candles. I won't ruin it. It's worth reading. It's a wonderful, wonderful piece. The other thing I would say See, about- I feel, I feel like 16 Candles is way more problematic. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, that yeah. That movie is like- I watch, I've watched all of these movies with my kids. And that one- They're like, I think fuck? hit my daughter way, way kind of harder- and just being like, why would right? I, oh, just, the, can, the the underwear the thing. Breakfast Club. They're just like they know it's set in the eighties. I think part of it is, you know, if you have kids and you watch movies like that, so you know it's a different, different era, different everything, and rules were different back then, and stuff happened that maybe everybody wasn't wasn't crazy about looking back. Right. And you just have to judge that within the context of the decade. Sure. Even Bender's Locker. Yeah. That would never happen now, but that in nineteen eighty five. We didn't blink right. that that was on his locker. It right. wouldn't stay there that long. It, no. It'd be a thing yeah. somebody else did to Bender's It also locker. had a guillotine inside it. No, right. no, no, no. <laughs> That's the Gooniesization yeah. of like the like that sort of contraptionization. Yeah. Of- but the but the thing is though, I want my daughter to see that stuff. I want her yeah. to know what life was like in 1985. And it's like you know, it well, was that's flawed. that that's, is why Molly Ringwald watched it. That's part of the reason she watched it with her daughter. One thing I would say humorously that has aged the worst is boredom, like. The idea, like, I, there were so many moments where I almost said out loud, just pick up your phone. Oh, right. And I'm, I mean, I was there. (laughs) Yeah. It's also so funny because they're like literally in a library. So they could just like read anything. And then the the only time they do is when they destroy destroy a book. Copy of Moliere. It's it's a real, it's a really. (laughs) Moliere really gets my (laughs) nads. Casting what ifs. Ringwald was supposed to play Allison, was really upset um, because she actually wanted to play Claire. Hughes initially didn't want her to play Claire because it was too close to the 16 Candles kind of character, but they ended up happening. Robin it made her Wright, a star, though. Like, if she hadn't, if she, ha- if they had switched parts, it would have, it would have broke the continuity of the Molly Ringwald persona. And therefore- Can I give you three names yes. to audition for Claire? Okay. Robin Wright. Oh. Jodie Foster. Oh, what? Laura Dern. Ooh, oh my. Mascara Laura Dern. Hmm. Interesting. Robin you Wright know, would have been interesting. Robin Wright, who's who is one of the most beautiful people of the eighties. I actually think she would have been too beautiful. Um, I well, think you Claire know, needs to be a little bit flawed physically. I just think Robin Wright's so beautiful; she overpowers the movie. Yeah, but and Princess Bride, she's like one of the most beautiful people that's but ever Molly been in a movie. Ringwald. I mean, it's funny because like Molly Ringwald's Molly Ringwald's story about John Hughes casting her. He cast her. He was looking at at headshots to make this movie, apparently, mm-hmm. and saw hers and was like, "I there's something about you that makes me want to write a movie around the person that you seem to be in this photo or whatever." And so he wrote Sixteen Candles before he met her. Yeah. Right, it's right. a little strange, and like you read, but that's how it worked back. No, then. but I mean, you read this stuff. She started dating Anthony Michael Hall during this movie. Hmm. And when Hughes found out about it, their relationship was never the same, which is weird. I didn't really it's understand that one really at all. This is Molly Ringwald saying that. Right. Not that um, They definitely had this like mentor-mentee relationship sure. that was pretty intense. And then it went sideways. Emilio Estevez originally was going to be John Bender. 
Mm. And Hughes couldn't find Andrew the wrestler and ended up switching it. Because Tom Cruise wasn't available? Tom Cruise would have, I mean, he would have tipped the back. I guess at that point he would have. Yeah, because that's two years earlier, I think that happens. Yeah. But Tom Uh, Cruise would be the perfect person to not, to to play that part if if FCFS couldn't do it. Nicolas Cage was considered for John Bender. Probably too handy. That's too much. Yeah. That just tips this. I mean, it would have been a much better performance. The other one is the big, big what if, though. Cusack and Judd Nelson are the finalists for Bender. Oh, my God. He was originally cast Cusack and then replaced him with Nelson because he didn't feel like Cusack was threatening enough. Right. That's that's bad casting. But it's a totally different movie if Cusack is Bender. Right. But what do you think? I think it's like he just plays it more sensitive. He's He's not incapable of being like that. Couldn't have been imposing. I agree. Rick Moranis was originally cast as the janitor, but left due to creative. Differences. I love this. Well, did he? Mm. You think he was like, I want Carl to have like a kind of deer hunter element to his <laughs> character. <laughs> Can I have some more Carl scenes? Um, this is this blew my mind. Anthony Hall, after this movie, was offered the lead part in Full Metal Jacket before Matthew Modine, mm. and withdrew from consideration after protracted negotiations between his camp and the director bogged down. Mm. Anthony Michael Hall in Full Metal Jacket. Mm. No comment? I mean, all the comments. All the, when yeah. are we doing Full Metal Jacket rewatchables? You think him in Vietnam going, you don't think I understand pressure? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I did to get here? But listen, but you know what? I mean, maybe this is too soon, but I would just say, I mean, I will, sh- like, Bill, what does that say? Anthony Michael Hall is an actor. I agree. Like he's good. He's the he is the person that by the time this movie is over, if I'm a director, casting agent, person who likes movies, I want to see what that yeah. guy does. Yeah. He is the person who understands, like there's something. I mean, they're all natural in their way. And I think Molly Ringwald, of the five of them, Molly Ringwald is the one that that I would I I want to see be a movie star. Because she is one. And Anthony Michael Hall is the person that I really would try to see what he couldn't do. Well, mm-hmm. so two things happen that interfere with that. One is he's getting typecast as the nerd, mm-hmm. which he doesn't want to be. So he makes, for first he goes on Saturday Night Live with Downey. Yes. They do a whole year on SNL, which is crazy because he was like 18. Then he makes that movie, Johnny Be Good, the sports movie, yep, yep. where he's the high school star quarterback because he's so desperate to break out of this nerd thing. Wait, is that- Uma Thurman's in it. I remember that, yeah, but I thought, that, I thought that that's not about Robert Downey Jr. No, that's about Anthony Michael Hall. I don't he's remember the, it he's that way. James Vanderbeek yeah. in Varsity Blues character. I don't remember it that way. So then, and then he made one other movie where huh. he's- He's like on the run. People are trying oh, to get um, him. Oh, uh, 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 loose. Um, out of bounds. Out of bounds. Out, out of bounds. bounds. Yeah. And Not to it, be confused with the John Cryer movie. Um. Oh shit. But What's then he misses. The, anyway. He he basically misses his moment. Yeah. And the interesting thing about that is, like, I had Anthony Michael Hall season tickets. Yep. So I saw Johnny Be Good. I saw Out of Bounds. <laughs> I I was like in, and then. I remember he shows up in Six Degrees Separation, which I think was 93. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he plays um, the the kids, Donald the, Sutherland's kids, their gay yeah. friend from college who got to know Will Smith's character. And he's really good in that movie. He's really good. And he's been good in a lot of stuff, but just he was in, they did The Dead Zone. He was the star of he that. He was really good on that show. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I wish we could reset his career and I do think some he's stuff got over. some some lost decades in there. Yeah, I yeah, mean, maybe. he's talked about sure. this. I mean, didn't he have some trouble? Yes. Yeah, I think yeah. he did. Well, I feel like fucking eighties cocaine right. was everywhere. I'm I, sure. I he was. I mean, of those five people, he might have been the most talented of the five. I agree. Um, I agree. Either him or. Uh, yeah, I don't even know who the well Ringwald, but I think Shady, Ringwald. I, I like, like Sheedy. Sheedy had something about it's the way she looked at characters. Like, none of these in the people had head. like the straight shot. Like everybody here, like takes ten years off or has like a weird, yep. weird run. Like I mean, it really is a testament to just how fucked up fame is for people that mm-hmm. age. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I liked. I mean, Ali Sheedy was my favorite at the time of the five. But she's she pretty was, much like what high art. What else has she been in since then? Really? Made well. Short circuit. That's right. I mean, like she did have a run. Yeah, hey guys, short guys. Let's not forget about Oxford Blues. That's a good movie. <laughs> oh my God, Oxford, Oxford Blues is flat wait, out a good movie. First Craig, of all, have you seen Oxford Blues? No, the best rowing movie of all time. Rowing. Oh yeah, movie. mark it down. <laughs> but you know what? You brought up Caruso. Yeah. Do you know that he actually did play Judd Nelson's dad in in Blue City? In 1986. Oh, yeah. You're Do you right. remember this? I remember Blue City. I don't remember the dad part. He, I believe David bad. Caruso is Judd Nelson. The movie's terrible. But Ali Sheedy, Judd Nelson, yeah. in love. And and I believe David Caruso is the dad. Yeah. We got to keep going. <laughs> we're, we're off pace. Some quickie cat. Actually, let's take a break. Let's talk about Sonos. Maybe the Breakfast Club. Actually, the Breakfast Club could be helped by Sonos. You can blast, blast the music. You can blast the terrible library scene when Emilio Estevez is dancing. Use your Sonos because the sound quality can actually add to it. You know, Estevez is hopping around. He's hopping library shelves. You really want that sound to fill the room. Clear, detailed sound. Fills the room in any volume. A speaker designed from the inside out for incredibly detailed sound and deep bass. That's every Sonos speaker. True play technology puts the speaker tuning capability of the recording pros in the palm of your hands. Optimizes the sound for the unique acoustics of any room. Getting started super easy. I can vouch for, for this. Uh, plug in your speaker, open the app, connect all your favorite streaming survi- services, use Wi-Fi. Everything works together. Could not be easier. Even for a semi-idiot like me with putting stuff together, you can uh, connect your TV, your turntable, everything else. Listen to everything you love. I have multiple Sonos products in my room, living room, TV room, bedroom. Yeah. I don't know what else to say. Go to Sonos.com to learn more. That is S-O-N-O-S.com. Meanwhile, with the new year in full swing, we're about six weeks in. Everyone still kind of trying to stick to their New Year's resolutions. Pepsi wants to usher in the new decade a bit differently by encouraging people to unapologetically do what you enjoy, even in the face of others' judgment. Pepsi encourages you to let loose, be yourself, live your life like nobody is watching. You know what that includes? You know what I like to do sometimes now? I like to listen to podcasts as I watch basketball games because I'm so annoyed by all the announcers that I just, I have the Sonos move right next to my TV. I press mute on the TV. I listen to some podcast, watch basketball. And guess who I don't have to listen to? The dumb announcers in every local team complaining about the refs and talking about their players who weren't that good, like they're really good. That's what I like. That's Pepsi. That's what I like. Back to the breakfast club. All right, come back. Some quickie categories. Best that guy, a.k.a. the Joey Pants Award, 
There's really only Paul Gleason or Paul John Gleason. Capelos. I think you gotta go Gleason. Gleason. Paul yeah. Gleason. All right. Clarence Beeks, right? In a, is it Beeks or Deeks in trading Clarence clothes? Beeks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Beeks. Uh, the Vincent Hanna They Knew Award for Best Overacting. Mm. This is tough. So, no, oh, so everybody go, gets their turn. Well, it, you can it's go only one. There's only one. Nelson Vest? It's just no, Judd Nelson. Really? I'm saying... D- no, a- Dad! What about you? <laughs> you are ugly, lazy, and disrespectful. Shut up, bitch! Who fucks me turkey pot pie? What about you, Dad? Fuck you. No, Dad. What about you? Fuck you! No, Dad! What about you? Fuck you! Are you sure we don't want to go with you don't think I understand pressure? I think it's got to oh, be. Fuck you. I think fuck for. You. I think for the no dad. What about you? It just happened. I mean, okay. Yeah. It goes on for so long. I loved it. Uh, the Deanne Waiters Award, mm. best heat check, easily Carl the janitor. You guys think I'm just some untouchable peasant, sir? Peon? Yeah. Maybe so. But following a broom around after shitheads like you for the last eight years, I've learned a couple of things. I look through your letters. Look through your lockers. I listen to your conversations. You don't know that, but I do. I am the eyes and ears of this institution, my friends. I love him. Uh, recasting couch. I wouldn't recast a single part. I would like to see the Cusack version. I would like to see Tom Cruise play uh, Estevez. Play Estevez, yeah. I think he's too old. They're the same point? age, but he'd he'd already had a risky business. Yeah, that seems. I mean, he's, I'm he's just like a year away from from color money. I don't want to take anything away. Listen, from I'm always from more Cruz, but I I would I would like he's the only person. I mean, they tr- they got Estevez right, like as close as you could get him to looking like a high school wrestler. Yeah, but he didn't look like any high school wrestlers I knew. I'd also like to nominate um for the role of of Vernon. Yeah. Edward James Olmos. Ooh. <laughs> I think this movie goes Keep a little differently. Him in school. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because I, I do feel like when, he, when we talked about casting what ifs and like what's age the worst, I mean, the way race doesn't, the way race both functions and doesn't function in this movie, mm-hmm. right? Um, this is a movie, everybody in this movie is white. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's every John Hughes movie, though. Right. But there's something about, I think that even this version with no with nothing but white people in it is more about being the race whiteness as a as a predicament is more of a thing, right? That's in this version. And yeah. and whatever Judd Nelson is supposed to be, I mean Judd Nelson is is just a white Jewish person, but whatever he whatever ethnic whatever ethnic chair he's supposed to be in this movie like well, I don't know if he's like, like if it's Italian or Polish. I don't know what he's supposed to be, but he's La- clearly. Latvian. <laughs> I mean, whatever <laughs> yeah. it is. I mean, in Chicago is a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it is. It either it's either from a long line of somebody or like a very short line of somebody. And there's there's a way that this movie doesn't quite want to acknowledge um, or can't acknowledge or doesn't think. I mean, it's it's eighty five. It it just wouldn't have. Well, there, but there is a lovable blowhard character that happens in the mid '80s over and over again, like Jim Belushi in About Last Night. Mm-hmm. But same he kind of thing where it's like, oh, this guy's an asshole, but I kind of like him. But he's and a sidekick over and over again. Yeah, always a sidekick. Yeah, right. it's like the Paul Rudd Beverly Hills Cop character. He's just like kind of an annoying thorn in the side. Kind Paul of Reiser. 
Fall Rising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fall Rising. Yeah. 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 Um, some half-assed internet research. Filming took place at Maine North High School in De Plains, Illinois, which had already closed down. Mm. And they built the library. Bender's flinch when Vernon faked the punch was genuine. Apparently, Jed Nelson really thought Paul Gleason was going to hit him because nobody liked mm. Jed Nelson. Mm. The same setting was used for the interior scenes of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, the high school. Oh. Hugh shot the two films concurrently to save time and money. Mm. The crews were working uh, all, all along on both. Um, Hughes was disappointed in Nelson because he stayed in character and fucked with Molly. Tormented tormented Molly Ringwald off camera, and he decided and decided he was going to fire Judd Nelson. And the other actor stepped in and said, "No, no, he's actually trying to get into character. You got give him a second chance." Yeah, like Ali Sheedy, like let a he he's Stella Adler. Yeah, yeah, tough one. So there was a cast reunion for the film's 25th anniversary, and Ali Sheedy revealed that a director's cut existed, and Hughes is the only one who had it, and then he died, and Hughes's widow is the only one that has it, but it's 150 minutes, mm. and um, I'm sure it's a lot of twice as long as <laughs> a lot of scenes are deleted, including a wacky dream sequence where Ali Sheedy falls asleep. And a, I don't even know what this means, a much steamier seven minutes in heaven scene between Claire and Bender. Huh. Sounds like mm. all good cuts. I think the, the yeah. pace of this movie was an asset. Um, Hughes based Vernon on a teacher and wrestling coach he had in high school. Um, Nelson. Oh, Anthony Hall apparently grew as they were filming this. Where they, he oh, was two inches smaller sense. than Nelson, oh, and by the end of it, they're yeah. the same and size. And they shot in sequence. So I wonder if I, you go back and look at it and knowing that, you can probably right. see it. A pair, a, Molly Ringwald and Ali Sheedy both said that there was a Porky-style scene that must be in the director's cut where the boys snuck off to peek in on the high school's synchronized swim team. No, and, it's, oh, yeah. it's Vernon and the and Carl spy on the teacher swimming naked. Oh, yeah. Okay, there you and go. And Molly Ringwald, it's they in the script. Cast it. They cast it. Apparently, they had cast the part, too. Yeah, and Porky's. then Molly Ringwald got them to write it out of the script. Yeah, it's a good move. Um, so... Don't You Forget About Me was they approached this guy, Keith Forsey, to write the soundtrack. And then he was inspired by the scene in which Brian asked the group if they'd still be friends after detention, wrote the song. They tried to get people to sing it, including Brian Ferry. Mm. And it finally just kind of ended up with Simple Minds, who just kind of decided to do it, but we're it's crazy un- about it. And it became their most famous song. It's funny because it is unlike, they were kind of a soul band. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is like unlike Scottish yeah, band. Yeah, this is unlike any of their other yeah. Songs. This is and this is a song and like they can't escape this song. Right. Yeah. Right. Um so apparently Carl the janitor, aka John Kapalos, he um he had a feud with Estevez. Did you read about this? No, no. On the film. <laughs> because um Estevez and Nelson were were trying to make Kapalos laugh during some scene they were filming. And he got mad and he said he referenced the real life heart attack of Martin Sheen mm. by saying they would have been great on the set of Apocalypse Now during his heart attack, watching him wince in pain as they goofed around, not realizing Emilio Estevez was Charlie Sheen's son. And then there's bad blood. Oh, no shit. Oh, this is wow. all half assed. Amy Leibovich shot the poster. Oh, yeah, of course. You know, that poster, can we just talk one second about some important my office. visual things? Mm-hmm. That poster. 
I don't know how to explain this because it's, I mean, there's a number of things that that are really powerful about this movie and they're all visual. And there's a way that, at least for me, as a person who did not identify with any of this stuff in mm-hmm. this movie, like as a kid, yeah. right? Like I never watched this and thought that's me. It was worse than that. It was like, I want, I tried to like lay into my, I tried to give my dad some some like John Hughes teen angst one day and he's like, no more HBO for you. <laughs> yeah. Like he he actually was just like, yeah. Where's this shit coming yeah. from? Like, you you're not one of these white kids on in the, on on TV. Like we don't do that here. Like I didn't do anything to you. Right. I'm I'm a good dad. My and, parents and said I the love same you. thing to me. And <laughs> what? No more HBO. No, you're not one of the white kids. In this <laughs> <laughs> no, they actually. But but there was something about the way that. In that moment in, in in time in American popular culture, we're just looking at five people like glamorously arrayed on a on a on a set for a photo shoot and to have like one of the one of America's great photographers take their picture. It it was like an album cover, but a movie poster. And there was something about the conflation of those two things that was incredibly appealing. It's a yeah. good point. It does look like an album cover. You're right. And this movie was shot by um, I'm not going to remember the guy's name Thomas Thomas Deluth maybe Thomas Delruth sorry he worked in TV he shot a lot of TV this movie does not work with 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 like a more sophisticated cinematography yeah like with more setup with like more tracking shots and stuff every like that. Yeah. single one of these people gets a full on I can't imagine watching this in a movie theater as like a like a nine year old or like even a even a fifteen year old. Like yeah. each one of these characters gets so many great close ups, and they're not sophisticated. Like there's not a lot of lighting going on. It's just they're beautiful, and each one of these guys gets many moments to yeah. like to not act in the close up, but to just be the way a movie star would. And it's it's just. I mean, it is such an iconic. Uh, what do I mean? The eighties iconic. No, no, no. It's like um, it, it's creating iconography, right? Yeah. Like these people are being consecrated by mm-hmm. this very simple photography style. And then Dee Dee Allen edited it, and and like I think a lot of the magic of this movie also comes all from those what, all those reactions her, are from the cuts from her yeah. from her editing. Yeah, three more. Uh, the dandruff. From Ali Sheedy was achieved by Parmesan cheese. Yeah, it's not like that. <laughs> if she, if that was her actual dandruff. I would have probably um, just love her all the more. The uh, in the beginning of the movie, you can see what the flare gun did to Brian's locker, mm. and you can see they show Man of the Year, and it's Carl the janitor yeah. as the Man of the Year. And oh. then one deleted scene they have with Carl where he predicts where the five kids will be in thirty years. He says Bender will have killed himself. <laughs> Claire will have two boob jobs and a facelift. Brian will become very successful, but die of a heart attack due to the stress of a high-paying job. Allison will be a great poet, but no one will care. And Andrew will marry a gorgeous airline stewardess who will become fat after having kids. Oh, my. And that was the whole scene. That's so a deleted just, scene? Yeah, they decided to take that one out. Uh, Apex Mountain, Molly Ringwald, I say yes. Probably, yeah. Yes. Think of her powers. Judd Nelson, I say yes. Yeah. Anthony Michael Hall. No. What do you think is Apex well, Mountain? Well, no, 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 no. Let me, let me rephrase that. It is his Apex Mountain. It is, because it leads to weird science. And, then he, right. could, and he could have done Full Metal Jacket. And he could have done Full Metal Jacket, yeah. 
Ali Sheedy, it's, no. I, I would say San Almost Fire for her and Emilio Estevez. Yeah, Have she's you, good. But you guys see, seen Made to Order? Not a great movie, but she's really good at it. Also, high art, that's her. I mean, well, higher, but that comes at the end of the career, kind of, or like the third act of the she's career. Good where bad she's good Bad Boys, too, with Sean Penn. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. She oh, nice yeah. She had a nice little 82 to 85 run. John Hughes. I would say Ferris Bueller. I think Ferris. Ferris Bueller. Okay. Anybody else? I mean, Gleason. <laughs> like, Trading places is pretty strong. Yeah. But I mean, I think that Molly Ringwald, I, I don't look at, it's funny, I don't look at the the three John Hughes movies as being separate. I look at them as being one work. Yeah. Right. And Like Godfather, I, one, two, and three. Oh, no, she, bad example. <laughs> like, like, I can't think of another star whose stardom existed for such a brief period of time, but was so important. Yeah. Right. And cause I mean, even, I mean, do you guys, did you guys actually see fresh horses? I think I saw it once. Cause I went and it's kind of like white angel heart. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like, they can't do any of the things that they asked poor Lisa Bonet to do uh-huh. in that movie. Molly Ringwald is, in, is like meant to imply she did in this one. Um, but that's the sort of thing where like, like White angel one, one bad movie kind of ruined, like, didn't ruin everything. Yeah, you lose momentum. But she went from there to Betsy's Wedding, which, I, which is a movie I love. I don't know if you guys have seen it recently, but it, it holds up as I mean, as I like all wedding movie. movies. Um, Pick anyway. It. Picking nets. Yes. I can, can, can we just, can I, can I do this? Can I go, can I bat lead off here for picking nets? God. They're fucking expelled. For what they did to that library and what they did to school property. Ding, ding. And it didn't ding, really occur to me ding. before, but first of all, they hotbox half half the school. Yep. Nobody smelled that weed. I can't believe that they, neither, it's not like they're smoking out the window. Right. They, as soon as they walk out, too. their parents are like, You reek of pot. What the yeah. fuck happened in detention today? Yeah. Yeah. Second of all, he destroys that that little booth where he shatters the glass with his voice. Right. So you've got broken glass everywhere, mm-hmm. lunch meat. On a statue. The ceiling. The ceiling has been destroyed. It reeks of pot on a Saturday. Ripped up books. Ripped up a a copy of Moliere. The the library door no longer opens. And the library door no longer opens. And he probably destroyed all those magazines. I mean, there's all kinds of things he beats, Bender beats up. Yeah. So you think when he says, I'll see you on Monday, when they get there on Monday, they're actually going to be like, you guys are all expelled? I think that there's a, like, first of all, Vernon's fired because it's just like, so you were 15 feet away (laughs) and they turned this into a kiss concert? (laughs) (laughs) Like, what happens here? Yeah, I I 100% He's like, look, man, I was downstairs with Carl the janitor. We're having beers. I didn't realize what was going on. And I threatened to beat up a kid. And in the meantime, like, they smoke an eighth of weed and, like, and shatter glass. The only thing missing was some sort of somebody getting pregnant during the seven hours. Yeah. I think they hit every other checkpoint. I mean, it just, it, it like, the shattering of the glass was, the well, the lunch meat on the statue was was when I was like, oh, I don't like think we need most offensive to, thing. And not even offensive. It's just like, okay, why? Yeah. Just why? Yeah. So I have for... Along those same lines, I, I just feel like Vernon's checking on them more than three times over the last seven hours they're there. It's if, also, if there's only five of them, he could have put them in another room. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where he's like, well, the door closed. I guess I'm out of this. And he could just put them in another room. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it would have been easier to keep that door open. Um, 
Why did all of them have to go to Bender's locker to get the pot? Maybe just two of them could have gone. I'm not sure why all five. Well, were that's like a. I, but see, there are weird things in this movie that make a kind for all the things that don't make it's, sense. It's smart for a movie, like yeah, it's, it's not well, for real life. No, 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 no. I mean, but like, like think of all the stupid errands you went on with your friends just because they did. Oh yeah, I want to go get gum. I'll come. Right, I'll go yeah. with you. No, I mean, just like <laughs> that to me, that was a weird errand that just made sense. Okay, yeah. Uh, the dancing. I'll never understand for the rest of my life, even by 1985 standards, when the wheels were just off in 90 different ways, what made everybody go, you nailed it, Emilio. <laughs> That's a print. I yeah. want to see the other takes. That, I was thinking the same that thing. That scene, that was the one. When you did the Palma horse on the library <laughs> shelves, that was it. You nailed it. The and funny then, thing is, is that it's like in high school or in school, I just remember like, that would not have been like considered cool. It wasn't he cool was like in 1985. The, I'm he, telling he's you, he's like the you know like the prom king quarterback. He's like, I have this amazingly physical tumbling routine that I'm going to do. I wonder if Footloose was responsible for some of that too. And MTV, yeah. 80s. I mean, Footloose is 83. Yeah, yeah I wonder because that, that, but but that more. particular, just the Andrew, just his, right. just his sequence. Top Gun's 84 or 86. 86. Okay, so it's after. Because I was going to say, Top Gun also has like a basically like a lot of musical interludes. Like they sing, but there's also just like montages yeah. of them getting ready to do stuff. The volleyball is essentially mm -hmm. like a music video. But this, that, that. <laughs> you guys are already doing better than Emilio Estevez. It's just, or Bill, you're not. You're up there. You're, you're getting it. You're getting yeah, it right. You look like you're having a stroke. Oh, wait. But that's the that's the wrong song. No, I'm just I want to okay. play a little. We are not alone. I oh, don't have the other one. Anthony Michael Hall throwing records, just destroying vinyl. This is called Dream Montage. I don't know where this came from. Oh, this is right. from this probably, is probably when from the they cut Dream use. sequence. Oh, this is, this is, is it? Amelia Westerman. This, yeah. this is it. This is it. This is very Footloose. Amelia. Yeah, I'm just saying. Yeah. I feel like they were going for a Footloose thing with Amelia Westerman. I don't know. What is any of this the library shelves as a pommel horse? <laughs> he's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah I'll do it, man. Yeah. Meanwhile, he's not really, whatever. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, listen, we've picked all the other nets. I can go to best quote. We've mentioned a lot of them. I really enjoyed, does Barry Manilow know you read his wardrobe? Yeah. yeah. I got a question. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? Give you the answer to that question, Mr. Bender, next Saturday. Don't mess with the bull, young man. You'll get the horns. So it's sort of social, demented, and sad, but social. What do you guys do in your club? In physics, well, we, we, uh, we talk about physics, uh, properties of physics. So it's sort of social, demented and sad, but social, right? Yeah, well, I guess you could consider it a, a social... The chicks that can't hold the smoke. <laughs> We're all pretty bizarre. Some of us are just better at hiding it, that's all. Okay, fine, but that doesn't make an A-less bizarre. What's bizarre? I mean, we're all pretty bizarre. Some of us are just better at hiding it, that's all. That's another good high school yearbook quote. Um, could this be remade as a 10-episode Netflix show? I'm going to go with no. But well, it would just it be a series. It would be a series. It would just be like, and maybe, I, yeah. You These kids, what? it would be like, it'd be interesting to watch a 10 episode show about the day after when they get expelled. Yeah. I, <laughs> they all have to get jobs. I wonder, I was thinking about this question and my answer is reality television, not scripted television. Like cheer? And you, well, where you have a different detention every week. Mm -hmm. And it's just five different kids. It's five different kids. So it's like that weird show that the, uh, 
what was that HBO show where each episode they were in a hotel room? Oh, Room 108 or whatever? Yeah. yeah. And it's like each time there's two new guests. Yeah. But, shit's going on. But I think it's more like group therapy, right? Okay. Where like you get you get the kids in detention to wind up doing the kind of therapy that those guys do. And each, each episode other. they have to do a choreographed dance almost or less be, yeah. they don't get out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just feel like I feel like you could do a version of this, but you couldn't script I'll it. I'll tell you this much. I would give it a chance. <laughs> I'd watch the first episode. Yeah. I know I, my daughter would watch yeah. it too. Probably unanswerable questions. What's going on with the flare gun in Brian's locker? Is there like a, a whiff of like a school shooting type of oh, plot there? Or what's going on? For sure. Is this like the early, early stages of what would eventually, not to get all morbid here, but Why, I bringing mean, a gun to school? Like, first of all, you're kicked out now. Oh, every time. Oh, for yeah. Sure. Um, the flare gun, I'm not, I'm just not sure what his intent was. Was he going to use it on himself? That part was really ambiguous. ambiguous. Yeah. But he's also, he doesn't know what was he's he doing. Gonna go, was he yeah. going to go after the teacher with it? I no, I think like, it was like a, I think it was like a cry for help. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. I, I don't, that, that doesn't weird. make sense, but it doesn't make sense. Again, it's another thing that doesn't make sense in the context of a, like, it doesn't make sense, but it makes sense for him. Yeah. Is this the official beginning of Claire just having bad choice in men for the rest of her life? Mm. <laughs> like, this is like, it's like, so when did it start, Claire? You've been divorced three times. <laughs> Look, you haven't seen your kids in three years. What was the I love a guy point with for cigarette you? burns well, on his arm. I met this yeah. guy, John Bender, in yeah. detention. I have a weirder question. Yeah. Do you notice where they make out at the end of the movie? In front of her dad. What the F? Yeah. Would you, you ever? You can say it. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that great. Yeah. That was, that was, and she gets right in the car and the car just takes off. Also, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you another thing. Wait, I, I mean, if I'm Brian and Andy and Bender are making out with Allison and Claire and I'm writing the essay. I know, yeah. I know. But welcome to nerddom I know, though, right? I know. Like, I mean, that's just kind of how it works. Yeah, pretty soon they'll all work for him anyway. Yeah, exactly. If I was Claire's dad, I would have run over Bender with my car. <laughs> well, he almost that. does get run over in the opening yeah, sequence by, by, Al by Allison's car. Chris, this question's for you. What was the ending to Bender's blonde joke? <laughs> he had a foot-long salami and a yeah. poodle <laughs> puts them both no on the idea. bar and the bartender says so apparently there was no ending he just did the he didn't know what the ending was that's <laughs> not a joke I did look I did look for it um, where does everyone go to college? oh this is a great question Bender great question. Bender no college it's a great question Brian goes to Northwestern why do we assume Bender doesn't go to college? Oh, I think he's in jail in a year. I think his grades are probably, we don't know what his grades are actually I get like. the feeling like he's never been, I mean, he's ripping books up, so I don't yeah. know that he has a lot of a tremendous respect for the academic process. That's, that's, that's I think fair. Brian probably goes to, I mean, like, what? what's another, like, Caltech? Like, what are some? I was thinking Northwestern, or he goes to, like, Berkeley. Brian goes to Berkeley. I don't know. Somewhere he goes to somewhere Purdue. Weird. He goes and wrestles smart. at Purdue. Claire like, probably. He's on, a, he's on a scholarship track wrestling. He's he's like a star You're wrestler. Andrew? And, oh, Andrew. Andrew, Andrew goes oh. to like Michigan State. Yeah, or, Purdue. Right. Yeah. He's, he's definitely right. Big Purdue, Ten, right? Yeah. He's going to Purdue. Purdue uh, would be good for him. Claire, is she is she like Wesleyan? I was thinking she's like Elon. What? Somewhere like south that's. What's Elon? Elon? I don't know. That's where, That's Liz, where Kelly Liz Kelly went. went. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and my cousin Lauren. Okay, I was I, thinking she goes south to like some Tulane? school that nobody in nobody in her high school knows where it is. No, Vanderbilt, she goes to Barnard. She's like she's going to Harvard or something like that. I don't think she was smart enough. We don't. But see, this For is the Harvard? thing. We don't. 
I think she, I don't know. She or goes maybe to, she goes to the University of Miami because her parents are down there. No, no. <laughs> I mean, she brought sushi. What a great time to go to the U, too. Something. Yeah. <laughs> she catches the whole, the whole turn of football. She goes to She's dating Alonzo Highsmith. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I think this is the mid, this is the mid 80s. I'm sure that her, she's a, she's a legacy kid at some elite school. And Ali Sheedy, I think, has a big turnaround. RISD. Uh, RISD. Evergreen or uh, Antioch? Antioch, okay. Kenyon? Kenyon? Kenyon, Kenyon, Kenyon. What does this movie look like in 2020 from a racial, gender, sexual uh, character thing? Well, the, many, First of all, let's start here. If it's only five people, how many of those people are white? I think none. I think that if you're, if you're, you mean, let's, l- let me like clarify the question because I always never, whenever this question comes up, I, I never know. I, it can be answered in two different lanes, right? Does, is this like a remake or is this, is it being made for the, is this like, is John Hughes writing this for the first time in 2000? So here's the answer. It's definitely a, an all non-white cast. Yes, it's definitely an, an inner city school or or a school that is in a city that maybe isn't like it's not the beautiful. What's the, what was that Michelle Pfeiffer movie? It's not the Dangerous Mind School, right. but it's like an LA school that you have a chance to get out of. But I it's think no, I don't grim. think it can be LA. I think it's really important that it's like a so sub, Chicago, like a like something of like either like a midwestern city or a su- suburb. Yeah, yeah. so Chicago. Yeah, I also I also think that the monoracial aspect of it is an important aspect of the movie's success. So you would go all right? white people again? I, well, no, I'd go all black. I'd go all I'd all, go all Latin. Black. I'd go all Chicano. Like just like just just even be even more specific. I I would be very interested in just seeing different people of one group just to take an issue off the table or to like introduce it in a complicated way. Like the, the white version of this in 2020 also is complicated, uh-huh. is more complicated. You get your five types and you don't change those, but then you introduce, you just write it differently so that, so that the, the problems that, that arise out of all of these people are kind of connected to its moment in a in a much different way. I also way. think you really you could play around a lot with like the gender roles in the in the group where you could have like a lady bender. Right. I know? mean, I think you mess with the gender you Lady Bender. Yeah. Right. I That's mean, I've had them. Lady Bender. <laughs> I mean, I won't name her, but I think, like I did I had one. I had two actually. I think it goes badly and I think it's way too woke. And I think we end up wishing it never happened. But that's would just bad. Take. You're talking about bad writing. I just think they would fuck it up. I think you're talking about bad writing. I think a good writer who who yeah, they could make it just as edgy. Yeah, right. I mean, I just feel like it good could luck. be. It could be. Odds are twelve percent. The, the problem with it is that it, they would all be vaping and looking at their phones all day long, so it wouldn't be any got. You there'd confiscate be no the phones. Yes. You keep somebody keeps a vape pen, but the phones are confiscated. Who wrote right? the movie? Oh, Anthony Michael Hall. Anthony Michael Hall. Anthony Michael Hall, interesting. Anthony Michael yeah. Hall, for sure. On rewatch, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm voting Jed Nelson. Yeah, I knew you would. What? Yeah. Oh, my good He's, lord. It's it's so over the top. Stella Adler I mean, in the I, I love Molly Ringwald in Mel this Man movie. My man gave me a pack of cigarettes. He said, smoke up, Johnny. <laughs> 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 it's a better fucking day at the Bender House. Anthony Michael Hall. No, Bill! What about you? <laughs> All right, I'll give it a tie. All right, Breakfast Club, Chris Ryan, Wesley Morris, thank you.
All right, thanks to Sonos. Remember, you could upgrade your movie watching experience. Enjoy brilliant sound your way with Sonos. Every speaker designed from the inside out for incredibly detailed sound and deep bass. Fine-tuned by Oscar and Grammy-winning producers, mixers, and artists. And getting started is super easy. Plug in your speaker, open the app, connect all your favorite streaming services or TV. Go to Sonos.com to learn more. And thanks to Pepsi with the new year officially here. Everyone vowing to restrictive resolutions. Pepsi wants to usher in 2020 and this decade a bit differently by encouraging everyone to unapologetically do what you enjoy, even in the face of others' judgment. Like if you came to my house and I'm watching a basketball game on mute while I listen to a podcast, don't judge me. Pepsi, that's what I like. Coming up next week, a little series, a special series, a special eight movie series that we're calling The Flawed Rewatchables. More details to come on the Rewatchables Twitter feed, but that is going to be the next eight episodes of the Rewatchables, the flawed Rewatchables, movies that are rewatchable despite having one glaring flaw. Yeah, that's coming. Until then.